Evening folks, this is Jesse Cope, back for another episode of the American Soul Podcast, and we're going to take one of our little walks down the road. I do have one companion so far tonight, Stella has decided to come out and walk with us, besides the obvious chorus of frogs and crickets and cicadas and everything else in the background. We've had some pretty good showers come through today. Seems like I've said that a lot lately. Kind of unusual for this time of year. At any rate, I hope that y'all are doing well wherever you are, whatever you're up to at this point in your day. Thank y'all as always. We've started to hit some milestones and downloads and subscribers, etc. And I'm extremely grateful for that, folks. I'm grateful that y'all think this podcast has enough to offer that you come back and listen to it. I'm grateful for those of y'all that share it with your friends and your family that subscribe to it. And I'm, I'm humbled that you, as I said, at least I hope are getting enough out of it to come back. So thank y'all so much. It, it means a great deal. And so this episode, we're going to talk about, <laughs> there's, there's no, I'm, I've been kind of eager been thinking about this episode for just a little bit uh, we're going to talk about separation of church and state and the reason uh, we talk about this subject often but I had a comment a reply back and the comment doesn't matter who made it really folks but the comment was along the lines of Hey, have you ever heard of separation of church and state? And and it was kind of worded arrogantly, and I don't really need to read the rest of it, folks. But this is one of the main reasons that we started this podcast. And that is to combat the total myth and lie of separation of church and state. And there's quite a few other lies out there that we try and push back against, but this is one of the biggest ones. And so when people talk about this, when you hear people that are for the modern version of separation of church and state, there's two predominant reasons. One is either they don't know history, and so it's ignorance. Or two is they do know history, and they don't like history, and they want to change it. And I would label that or file that under malevolence. So when... When you hear somebody say, oh, well, we can't, we can't have God and the Bible in education, public school, and you go back to the Supreme Court decisions that we've talked about in 62 and 63, you can't have the Ten Commandments in a courthouse. And that decision, I can't remember off the top of my head, folks. I'm sorry. That was a later decision, I believe. I'll have to go and check the date at some point. When you can't have your Christian faith in government and politics, none of that is even remotely supported by our founding generation, 
by previous generations before we were a nation, but leading up to that, and by follow-on generations in our country. So, we'll talk about Jefferson's letter, (coughs) excuse me, Jefferson's letter to the pastor in which he used that phrase, separation of church and state, at some point. Yes, Stella, I'm very excited to see you too. And we will talk about history more and more often, and we'll talk about some of the same things over again. And folks, I learn a lot getting ready for these episodes, just like I hope that you're learning a lot. And so I certainly don't have all the answers or all the knowledge, nor would I pretend to. And one thing, a comment that I make frequently, almost every episode, is our nation was never founded so that the only people who could be Americans were Christians, people who worshiped Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who accepted him as the only means to get to God and eternal life. Not true at all. You cannot force faith onto a person, and you cannot force no faith onto a person. Our founders were extremely clear about that. And that should make sense to anybody that's thought about the subject for any length of time. You can't make somebody believe in something. You can't make somebody not believe in something. That's why it's called faith. However, our founders absolutely knew that our country had to have people that followed the principles of Jesus Christ as laid out in the Bible, and that this included our government and our institutions, and that if we didn't, our republic, not democracy, by the way, went into a bookstore recently, and they had a layout of board books for young children, and one of those board books in this series was about democracy. Our country is not a democracy. Our country is a republic. And our our founders specifically did not want mob rule democracy. And we'll, we'll have to get into an episode and talk about that at some point, too. But here are a few things I do know. One... The phrase separation of church and state is not anywhere in our Declaration of Independence. Go look through it, read through it yourself, you never find it. What is specifically in our Declaration of Independence is a reference to the God of Christianity. Not some random deity, not Allah, not some god from Hinduism or Buddhism or or Mother Nature or anything else, but specifically the god of Christianity and its creator, providence, laws of nature and of nature's god. That specifically, when we talk about Blackstone, if we haven't talked about him already, we talk about Blackstone's commentaries, and you can go and look this up. That reference at that time was a specific reference to the God of the Bible. 
So that's what is in the Declaration of Independence. Separation of church and state, that phrase is nowhere to be found. In our Constitution, the phrase separation of church and state is nowhere to be found. You will not find that in the Constitution. And so the immediate response that I get often from people that are promoting this modern lie of separation of church and state, well, what about the First Amendment? That Congress isn't going to make any rules about religion. So what I'd like to do for however long is left in this episode tonight, folks, is I'd like to talk just a little bit about the guy that actually wrote the First Amendment and give you just just a few, just a couple of his comments from the man who actually got the First Amendment. His wording was approved. His wording is what went in to the Constitution. Instead of listening to people that are basing their decision off of a Supreme Court decision a century and a half plus later. So the guy's name, if you're not familiar with him, that wrote the First Amendment, his name is Fisher Ames. You can go look him up. It's real easy to search. There's some quotes out there for him, right? And so I just want to read through a couple for you. And this first one that I'm going to read talks specifically, it's his opinion, right? Same guy that wrote the First Amendment, he's talking about education. So a great tie-in, because that's where we see some of the greatest damage done by these completely wrong decisions by the Supreme Court. This is a quote from Fisher Amos. We have a dangerous trend beginning to take place in our education. We're starting to put more and more textbooks into our schools. We've become accustomed of late of putting little books into the hands of children containing fables and moral lessons. We're spending less time in the classroom on the Bible, which should be the principal text in our schools. The Bible states these great moral lessons better than any other man-made book. So right there off the bat, folks, author of the First Amendment wasn't saying that we shouldn't have the Bible in our schools. He was saying we should have the Bible in our schools, teaching our, our students as the core of their education the main textbook. And if we have time at the very end, I'll go back and read a couple of quotes from another founding father who was a big proponent of public education, Benjamin Rush, saying basically the same thing. That's got to be the core. God and the Bible has to be the core of public education in America if our republic is to survive. But let's go back to Fisher Amos. We're going to talk another one. Again, has to do with education. Should not the Bible regain the place it once held as a school book? Its morals are pure. Its examples are captivating and noble. In no book is there so good English, so pure and so elegant. 
And by teaching all the same, they will speak alike, and the Bible will justly remain the standard of language as well as of faith. You can't force faith onto somebody. You don't have to be a Christian in order to be an American. But if we're going to use public funds for public education to help strengthen and sustain our country, just like with any organization, folks, we talked about this in one of the recent episodes, if you're going to run a company, you want to promote the founding principles of that country. Whatever the, the institution, if it's the Boy Scouts of America, if it's a bakery, if it's a coffee shop, whatever it is, you want to promote and support within that organization your employees, the people that work there, the people that participate. You want to promote the principles that help found that organization. That's just common sense. That makes perfect sense. That's understandable because if you don't, that company or organization or institution isn't going to last very long. Well, the same thing is true with a republic founded on the principles of Christ. And as Woodrow Wilson said, America was born a Christian nation. So if we're going to provide public education from tax dollars in this country, those schools have to promote the founding faith and principles of this country. Doesn't mean that you have to take some test and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not what I'm saying at all. But you have to teach those principles. And those principles are not laid out anywhere as well as in the Bible. So, again, we'll, we'll move on. We got one more. So this last quote by Fisher Amos, again, who was the author of the First Amendment. This is pulled from a book by Kirkland, I believe, in mid-1800s. Works of Fisher Amos. Why should not the Bible regain the place it once held as a school book? Its morals are pure, its examples captivating and noble. The reverence for the sacred book that is thus early impressed lasts long, and probably, if not impressed in infancy, never takes firm hold of the mind. So again, folks, quote after quote from the author of the First Amendment, talking about how important it was for the Bible to be in education. And there's some more quotes. We'll, we'll come back to Mr. Amos again. There's some more quotes of his talking about a couple different subjects. One, how we're a republic and not a democracy and why that's important. And then two, how important it is, for example, he has one quote talking about how important it is for lawyers in order to be a good lawyer in America, for them to be well-versed in the Bible and the principles of Jesus Christ. And that's a paraphrase. But so all of this together again, folks, this idea, this modern idea, modern myth created 60 years ago with the Supreme Court's total fabrication separation of church and state. Our founders didn't want the state controlling the church. That's what they escaped from, is the state forcing a particular sect of Christianity onto the population. 
they never intended or wanted our Christian faith to not be part of our institutions and our government. Huge difference there, folks. Huge difference. They knew very well, whether you're talking about Benjamin Rush, whether you're talking about John Adams, whether you're talking about generations before our founding, whether you're talking about George Washington, whether you're talking about Abraham Lincoln, or Grant, or Wilson, or Coolidge, or there's a great message that I'm going to read by FDR at some point down the road, or Ronald Reagan, all of these people, folks, or whether you're talking about just the average man and woman in our country, they knew that we needed the Bible and God and Jesus Christ in our country for it to work. And you can see why they knew that, folks, because the farther we have moved away from that, the more destructive we have become internally in our country. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see this. You just have to be willing to be honest. You just have to be willing to have integrity. That's really it, folks. You have to be willing to be honest. Because if you're not, well, then you can't really have a real discussion there, folks. At any rate, again, said that at the very beginning of the podcast. I hope that y'all have gotten a little bit out of this. I appreciate the feedback. I'm very grateful for it. I appreciate that y'all keep me honest in these. I'm so grateful for those of y'all that come back and listen and, and share the podcast. And, and spread the word, spread the truth. And again, that phrase from Patrick Henry, whatever your sphere of influence, folks, whatever it is, you have influence. Whether you are the CEO of a company, whether you are a battalion commander somewhere, whether you are a gas station attendant, whether you're a teacher or a janitor at a school or a principal or a superintendent, or whether you're a lawyer, it doesn't matter, a doctor, a plumber, an electrician, wherever you are, folks, you have a sphere of influence. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom with six kids or two kids or one kid, whatever it is that you do, you have a sphere of influence. And it's so vital to our country, so important, that as you are able, you spread the truth. Because that truth, even just one little spark, pushes back on the darkness. I hope that y'all have a great rest of whatever is left of your day, wherever you are. Thank y'all so much for joining, and we will talk to y'all again real soon. Look forward to it.